father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious. The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Welcome back from Florida, Ryan. How was it? Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I asked you that, but my tone of voice implied heavily that I don't care. Let me tell you more about it. I saw dolphins. Whatever. I saw manatees. Yes. I went parasailing. Yeah, well, yeah, well. I basically was living the island life. For like three days, and let me tell you, okay, Jimmy Buffett, um, pack it in. I yeah, cheeseburger in paradise, baby. That's me having boat drinks. What'd you do here? I heard your podcast with Teresa. It was good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, we did our best to compensate for the fact that one half of this podcast team was, you know, gone. Well, I'm so glad that, you know, I was able to come to New York with you. Oh, wait, I wasn't. You totally could have. In fact, I think I offered. But I was joking. That was a little bit of real anger in your voice I sensed. Are you okay? Do you want Mm, to talk about it? I'm not. I'm not okay. Because I didn't get to see any dolphins. But you want to know what I did get to see? What'd you see? Um, An article that says there's going to be a Gollum video game. Like a game where you play as him? Yeah. A game where you play as him and an entirely centered around him, story-wise. What would you do as Gollum besides, like, I mean, sit in like, kill and... your friend during a boating excursion to take a ring on your birthday? I mean, he's... Fall into darkness? Become a shriveled, fetid, semi-aquatic creature inside a cave? I honestly don't know what the general arc is going to be, but it says the story will follow the life of Smeagol, a.k.a. Gollum, as he finds and becomes corrupted by the One Ring. Well, it says it will follow the events of the novels, but the story will have new events and details related to Gollum's journey. You know what I'm hoping it his, is? His Actually, weight loss journey. I'm, well, here's what, kind of, I don't know what kind of game that would be, but here's what I'm hoping. I hope it's a dating sim with the ring. What do you mean? Like, so Explain. It's, so you play as Gollum, yes. and they'd be like, you know... I found this ring, and the ring talks to him, and you have to, like, get, there's, like, dialogue trees you have to follow. Oh. And so the, the ring's gonna be, like... I took an arrow to the knee! <laughs> yeah, Skyrim, my fading, favorite dating game, Joanna. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, you pick up, you, you know, the, the ring's in your pocket, it's burning brightly, and the ring's like, Gollum, Chan, put me on! And it's like, oh, I could put you on, but that would be, you know, it's too soon or whatever. Like, you know, like there's dialogue choices. I don't know. I'm not. This does joke, it end with a? This joke is going nowhere. Does it end I, with like a really graphic illustration of a sex scene? No, it's just Tim gross at the end. That's the reward. Is that the reward? Is that you're gross? You got like seven teeth and you live in a cave and eat fish. What reward it is? What Star Wars news do you have? So there's a couple Star Wars newses that I wanted to share with you. The first is actually last week. I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I was in beautiful sunny Florida. But <sighs> there was... Come on. No, I'm sorry. Continue. Come on. Continue. Come on. So I sit here with my, my, my golden tan and my, uh, you know, my, my sunglasses on still and my Hawaiian shirt. I'm just sipping a margarita. Let me just tell you about this news that I picked up, uh, you know, while I was in Florida. You know, no, no big deal. I was just, I was there. Just tell me. Okay. This is news where I'm not sure if it's real news or not because it seems like it could be, but it also seems like it's not. So apparently a poster has leaked of the episode nine. Is it a big group of ca- cast members assembled kind of higgledy-piggledy. It's kind of a... yeah, the blue and orange color scheme. No blue and orange, actually. There's blue and red. Uh, it's a Star Wars cast. 
Uh, but there's some like interesting additions in here that people took notice of. So here, I have pulled it pulled up. You can take a look if you want. All right, let me see. You're asking me to find who the addition will be. Like, what what do you think is weird about this? There's a couple things that jumped out to me immediately. Hmm. A weird alien guy standing behind Finn. Yeah, he's he's making like a soy boy face. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stormtroopers in it. There are. I mean, that, that's pretty uh, weird for a Star Wars movie to have lots of stormtroopers in there. That is so bizarre. I can't believe they're going that route. C-3PO with a gun? That's the thing that jumped out to okay. me. That's not, not just any gun. That's Chewie's bowcaster. Oh, yeah. He has, like, the bandolier on and stuff. Yeah. Since when was C-3PO, like, packing heat? Now, that's what jumped out to me is maybe this is phony baloney. Like, why is he... I mean, C-3PO fights with his... His wits. He doesn't. He's never <laughs> shot a gun or anything. And he frequently and it, loses. Well, I guess he did. Sh- also, he had his head welded to a battle droid. He did shoot a gun, I guess. But like, that wasn't his body. I just. He's a protocol droid. I don't know. If that. I, like, I, why is he? If he that happens, do that. I mean, also, it seems redundant because they also have Chewie in the background with the same bandolier on. So that's why I'm thinking, like, maybe this is the hint that this is maybe phony baloney, but it could be real. I don't know. I have no idea. If it's an April Fool's joke, I feel like it's kind of a little bit too subtle. No, this was an April Fool's. This was a week ago. This was in March. Yeah, man. I don't. I don't know what to think about C-3PO with a gun and that weird alien guy. Why put him no, on we're the like, What is he doing? Like, look at him. He's in the background, like, oh, <gasps> looks really gormless, right? He does look gormless. But they're saying, oh, a couple of these characters, like the, the, the woman in the back, that might be Lando's daughter, they've rumored is going to be in the movie. Okay. The guys over here, Knights of Ren, are going to show up again in the movie. Okay. <laughs> so that was the one news. Wow. That's the one news. There's more. Because like, we have a week to make up for. You know, like I was not here last week. I couldn't share There's Star like a Wars. a lot news. of Star Wars news happening. The only Lord of the Rings news that's happening is Gollum the video game. Well, the other big news is that next weekend is the uh, Star Wars celebration in Chicago. This is like the convention, the Star Wars con, where they bring all the stars and the actors and the special effects guys and all the biggest fans show up for it. That's happening in Chicago. Next I didn't weekend. realize that. Is that like a yearly thing? Mm-hmm. And Every- you've never been? I've never. Well, it's usually in California. Oh, but Chicago this time, though, boy. I know. Tickets are sold out already, like, long in advance. Uh, and they're very expensive. Are they going to be? Is it going to be Chicago from now on? I have no idea. Maybe. But anyway, they have some exclusive merch every year. And I really like the exclusive merch this year. There's a couple of things I really liked. I want to show you. God. My favorite. Oh, God. No, it's not. Oh, God. It, it's... Well, no, because I just keep thinking of that Jar Jar's tongue sucker. Oh, nothing, nothing like that. This is actually genuinely good. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at, Joanna? What are you looking at? Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so. It is a t shirt. Oh, it's a good shirt. It is a t shirt featuring Sebulba holding up a hot dog. <laughs> yep. With a little paper hat on, and it says Sebulba's hot dogs. Get it? Because he's a dog. Not hot dogs, but hot dogs. dogs. Does that mean he's serving up his own people on a bun? Because it's in Chicago this year, they have this shirt too. The. Windu City. <laughs> yep. It's pretty cool. You thought it was crazy back when it was the Windu City, boy. Now it's the Windu City. So you go to the Windu City to get some, some, some hot dogs. Hot dogs from Sebulba. Hot dogs and dank nugs. They genuinely have some good stuff. They have like a Star Wars is for everyone shirt this year. It's kind of cool. They got a they got like a Japanese biker a Darth Maul jacket. That's pretty dope. That's, That's pretty, pretty dope. sweet, right? <laughs> is that your news? Hot dogs is my news. Hot dogs is your news. We got a leaked poster. News is hot dogs. Hot dogs.
anyway, there, what I'm trying to say also is that because Star Wars Celebration is next week, and there's probably going to be some crazy new news coming from it. Because usually Disney has representatives there. That's they, true. They might drop a people think that maybe they'll drop a teaser for nine. Maybe they'll you know reveal some story elements, but we'll see maybe they'll tell happens. us why C3PO is packing heat if he is actually packing heat at all. All right. Well, Ryan, if you're done with your Star Wars news and your hot dugs. I'm pretty done with hot dogs, yeah. I'd like to talk about politics. Great. Tell me more about boring things. Everybody's favorite let's, topic for a podcast. Let's just turn on freaking C-SPAN over here. Are you here. ready for me to get red and angry and rip my shirt off? Politics. Politics. Why can't we just have a civil discourse, Joanna? Now, listen. Now, Ryan, we are going to have a civil discourse. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about Tolkien over the past year and a half, right? Yep. We know the guy. We love the guy. He's the guy. So based on what we covered, what's your perception of his political and social beliefs? Like, would you classify him as right-wing or left-wing overall? Well, he's pretty old-fashioned. He uh-huh. loves he loves the old days. He loves the old English. He loves the traditional ways. He d- hates the advance of industry. Uh-huh. So I would reckon he's kind of old conservative kind of values he's also a rich white man in england in the 19 i mean he wasn't always super rich but he is well he lived in a nice home yes he was a college man educated so with that you might think maybe he leans a little bit left because he's he's a he's a a college boy but this is a back in the day when college boys were 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 not you're right you're looking at things from a modern perspective if you think that way right so i think that he's going to Lean conservative, maybe not be super diehard about it. I don't think, like, I don't think he's like a like a white nationalist or like even an England nationalist or anything. I don't know. That's how I feel. Okay. Well, you, I think you're right about that. Well, if you were to ask me point blank where Tolkien lay on the political spectrum, I can only quote the Facebook relationship status of half my college dormitory floor in 2005. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. Or in a relationship with tacos. Rawr! XD, XD, XD. One by one, the penguins are stealing my sanity. I poke badgers with spoons. These are all completely relevant to Tolkien's political beliefs. That's now, what he said all the time, yeah. It's particularly complicated if you're trying to use modern political classifications. On balance, you could not call him progressive. So the dude hated communism, was super into tradition, and was also totally down with having a monarch. But his ideal was a monarch who didn't really have much influence over local day-to-day activities because Tolkien did not trust big government. Okay. Uh, in fact, he once wrote to one of his children, quote, My political opinions lean more and more to anarchy. Oh, wow. Philosophically understood, meaning abolition of control, not whiskered men with bombs. Oh, anarchy! J.R. Tolkien! Such a classic dad move to write your children about how you're becoming an anarchist. I'll start listening to the sex pistols! Dad's into anarchy in the UK! No gods, no laws, no masters! Except, like... Gods and masters very much were things that he was into. So he kind of liked... So this is where it gets complicated. So if you're wondering how a person reconciles anarchy with wanting a king, well, I am too. (laughs) If you don't think that juxtaposition is at least a little quirky, I think you're being intellectually disingenuous. Um, The clash between these two beliefs gets even more jarring the more you read into this letter. So Tolkien writes, quote, Government is an abstract noun, meaning the art and process of governing, and it should be an offense to write it with a capital G, or so as to refer to people. If people were in the 
habit of referring to King George's Council, Winston and his gang, it would go a long way to clearing thought. The most improper job of any man, even saint, is bossing other men. Not one in a million is fit for it, and least of all those who seek the opportunity. And at least it is done only to a small group of men who know who their master is. The medievals were only too right in taking Nolo Officopari as the best reason a man could give to others for making him a bishop. Now, Nolo Officopari means, quote, I do not want to be made a bishop. So what he's saying is, somebody saying, I do not wish to be made a bishop is the best reason for making them a bishop. Huh, okay. Like, so his point here is that the people who will probably make the most just and fair rulers are the people who really don't necessarily want to rule. Meanwhile, the people who do want to rule generally suck at it. Yeah, they're more... Yeah, I could see that perspective. That makes sense. You know, people who... The people who do want to have that kind of power generally are unfit for it. Right. They want it for ulterior motives. They, they don't want it because they actually make the world better. Right. Generally. Right. Now, Tolkien and I in no way agree politically, but I can't necessarily argue with this particular point. That's not a bad point, yeah. Because people who want that level of power usually do turn out to be, like, kind of psychopaths, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be fair. Yeah, I think yeah, we've yeah. seen that play out at a national stage. <laughs> not to put too fine of a point on it. More recently than you'd think. Anyway, yeah, I know. I'm trying not to get too much into that. Tolkien then continues, quote, Give me a king whose chief interest in life is stamps, railways, or racehorses. So he wants him to be the king. <laughs> yeah, no. Who said he was into stamps, railways, or He probably wasn't into railways, though. Stamps? He really strikes me as a rail fan. He seems like a stamps guy, too. Does he seem like a philatelist to you? Yeah. He yeah. sounds like a... I mean, I don't know. He's just a stuffy British man. I just figured that they're all into that stuff. So he wants a king, but he wants he wants one that's into stamps. He wants one he can talk about stamps with. Well, no. I think his, his, his point here is that he'd like to have a king who's just like, a regular person. Now, I would argue... Not into power for power's sake. You wouldn't want a stamp nut to become king, because you know what they want? They want their, stamps. They want them, no, they want their dang face on a stamp. I don't know that that necessarily comes from being a stamp nut. I think that no, comes no, more from... No, no, no. They want it. That's the only thing that <laughs> they don't... The only thing they don't have... Them. They have every other stamp in their collection. They don't have one with their I face on it. I literally thought your point was going to be, like, they want stamps so bad that they would release, like, so many stamps that stamps would become worthless and we would have stamp Well, yeah, that, I mean, that would happen, too. Yeah, stamps would become the currency of the nation, and they'd be completely devalued. You'd have to walk around with a wheelbarrow full of stamps to buy anything. Right. But most of them would have his face on it. King Stampsy. I think that could happen. Don't doubt me. This is the truth. I think that that could happen. This is my twisted, this is my dark future. Your dark vision of the future. You're going real Black Mirror. I'm Charlie Brooker. Imagine if everything was stamps. I mean... Absolute rulers do have a habit of putting their face on everything. I just don't know that it's stamps. So wait a minute. Why, why are we getting off on stamps? What are we? What are we? Even You're the about? one that started talking about how people who like stamps shouldn't rule. He brought it up. So to continue his letter. But of course, the fatal weakness of all that, after all, only the fatal weakness of all good natural things in a bad, corrupt, unnatural world, is that it works and has worked only when all the world is messing along in the same good old inefficient human way. The quarrelsome, conceited Greeks managed to pull it off against Xerxes, but the abominable chemists and engineers have put such power into Xerxes' hands that decent folk don't seem to have a chance. I feel like I have to decode his letter as we go, I mean, right? Like Xerxes Greeks, like his frame of reference. He's talking about the Persian as a god king, right? Yes. So so here what he's saying is that regular decent people don't stand much of a chance in politics because of the weapons technology that was being created in his lifetime, including atomic bombs, which he despised. 
So those weapons basically change the balance and nature of power so much that by his own admission, Tolkien's ideal type of leader is probably doomed to failure. Okay. Regular people can't rule in a world where leaders have nukes. That's true. You kind of need a crazy person to be at the button for that. Uh, Tolkien also laments that because of the increased interconnectivity of the world, you can't escape big government of war. So he says, quote, The special horror of the present world is that the whole damned thing is in one bag. There is nowhere to fly to. There is only one bright spot, and that is the growing habit of disgruntled men, of dynamiting factories and power stations. I hope that, encouraged now as patriotism, may remain a habit. Now that sounds like anarchy to me. It won't do any good if it is not universal. I think that's where the anarchy comes in. Anarchy! So, so wow. Smash the state! Yeah, so how do we even classify this? He's all over the place, so, man. Yeah, so the small government thing is pretty conservative. Like, in the classic sense, maybe not in the modern sense where conservatism is like, shading into fascism but i digress mm-hmm. anywho though you probably won't hear a guy praising the dynamiting of factories and power stations and immediately think oh a conservative <laughs> yeah right they love that stuff <laughs> so especially with today's self-proclaimed conservatives and also it has to be said a lot of self-proclaimed liberals getting so hand-wringy about property damage right yeah so this is not necessarily what you'd expect another thing that doesn't seem particularly conservative about tolkien is his penchant for conservationism so yeah is, trees right Trees are terrific. This is the guy who once said he would always take the side of trees against all their foes. So back in Tolkien's day, though, we have to remember that conservationism was so new that it wasn't really associated with any particular political orientation. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a right-wing thing. It wasn't a left-wing thing. Um, That is until the countercultural movement got rolling about which more in a second. Because Tolkien runs up head-on against that. Um, so how best to sum up Tolkien's political and social beliefs? So he was way into tradition, but also way into small government, even when those ideologies seemingly conflicted with each other. And that isn't necessarily unusual. Most people don't have a consistent ideology. That's just a sociological fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was into monarchs and aristocrats, but he didn't really think they should have much actual authority over the common people. And he also supported the concept of noblesse oblige, which means that if you're living a wealthy and privileged life, there are social obligations you have to fulfill to society. Sure, yeah. Also, he was really into trees and also blowing up factories. Um, Wow. In the end, I think the best way to summarize Tolkien is that his beliefs defy easy categorization. I'll say. Right? Um, now, incidentally, though, what I'm getting at here is this makes it really easy for any given political group to read their own agenda into his stories. Yeah, that's true. He's kind of a chameleon, right? <laughs> yes. And that happened most hilariously with the hippie countercultural movement of the 1960s and 1970s. Yeah, they're like living in the Shire and like smoking weed all the time, Oh, man. we're going to get to that, man. We're going to get to it. Um, it's great. Plus, he wants to like blow up factories, man. And that's like good. I say this is hilarious because a fusty Oxford professor being annoyed that flower children are idolizing him <laughs> is high comedy to me. Hurumph! <laughs> In the book, J.R.R. Tolkien Encyclopedia, Scholarship and Critical Assessment, scholar Patrick Curry says the following about Tolkien's inadvertent impact on hippies and environmentalism. Right, So Tolkien was enthusiastically taken up by the same counterculture beginning in the 1960s that gave birth to the ecology movement. Uh-huh, uh-huh. One of the founders of Greenpeace, David Taggart, was reading The Lord of the Rings on a seminal action on behalf of the environment, sailing into an exclusion zone to protest against nuclear weapons in 1972. Yeah, that seems like a place to read he it. He was reading Lord of the Rings while he was doing that. That's like a place to do that. A later generation 
Coalition of Environmentalists took nonviolent direct action to resist new motorways running through green places in England in the 1990s. These young people set a moral example, all the more striking in the context of the materialism of the time, with its destructive ecological consequences. And for them, Tolkien's work was A, perhaps even the, principal inspiration. But that was the 90s. You can't call them hippies if they're in the 90s. I guess that's fair. I think it's just showing that this has been consistent. Right. It, keep, it kept going. He's it, created something he can't stop. Now, Patrick Curry doesn't mention how Tolkien felt about any of this, but the Tolkien Gateway does. Quote, The hippie following latched onto the book, but a great many did so for possibly misguided reasons. Some openly stated that they felt the Dark Lord Sauron represented the United States military draft during the Vietnam War, an impossibility given the fact that the work was written by a World War I veteran during World War II (laughs) and published over a decade before Escalations Vietnam. This led to mainstream groups to label Lord of the Rings as some sort of hippie book, which was simply not the case. Even Tolkien called them the deplorable cultists, stating that quote, many American fans enjoy the books in a way which I do not. Deplorable using a different context, huh? Deplorable. Now, you want to talk about a basket of deplorables, um, hippies who read too much of The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> now, if you That's wanna, the whole basket, if in you Tolkien's want, opinion. If you want a good hippie movie, you should see that. What's his name? That George Lucas dude's movie. It's all about, like... He actually was trying to make it about Vietnam. Yeah. That's like, the thing. He actually was. All the dudes wearing black. That's like America, man. But and did like, it take off with the hippies in the same way that Lord of the Rings did? No, it did not. A little bit. They like the spiritual elements, the right. force. They liked the idea of a peaceful warrior monk who can take down a, a vicious empire. Okay, that's fair. But I think timing might have prevented it from taking off oh, in the was, same way. Because yeah. Lord of the Rings was was out At the and time. in mass yeah. circulation in the 60s and 70s. Star Wars didn't come till the end of the 70s. It was a direct response to Vietnam, but came out a little bit on the tail of it. Right, right. So, so Tolkien's statement that many American fans enjoy the books in a way which I do not is a very understated way of saying, I didn't write this for you hippies, go cut your damn hair. <laughs> um, but in a way... Tolkien should be grateful to the hippies because while The Lord of the Rings was by no means a failure when it first came out, it got mixed reviews and it really took off in the 1960s. And part of this was because, this is so ridiculous, part of this was because it was finally published in paperback in 1965, which Tolkien found distasteful because paperback was, quote, base. Come on. So he he thought it was for basic bitches. It was for base. No, he just thought it was, it was like... Was well, like pulp paperback, and yeah, and like he'd be on the same shelf as like you know slobby pulp sci-fi yes. fantasy books. Yes, that's the stuffy old dude we know and love, right? Paperback is base. This led to greater distribution of the book, however, which is how hippies got their hands on it. So for the next several years, any hippie shop worth its Himalayan rock salt had some <laughs> groovy Lord of the Rings artwork, probably blacklight. Yeah, dude. And many of them sold buttons reading "Frodo lives" or "Gandalf for president." These phrases were also popular as graffiti on subways and such. Cool. Also, interesting side note, there was a computer virus in the early 1990s that, when activated, displayed the phrase Frodo lives in large letters with a moving border. And actually, this virus, which was just called Frodo, was the first full stealth virus on MS-DOS. He did that, Tolkien. That's you. He did that. He did that. Tolkien probably would have been horrified by this, too. But first, you'd have to spend, like, four hours explaining Emma's DOS to him. So maybe it's for the best that he died in 1973. But then he explained it to him. It's kind of like burning on a factory on a computer. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he could have been... The anarchist in him could have been sympathetic to the... Although the Frodo lives, like... I don't know that I'd call it the equivalent of burning down a factory. Because all it did was show you the message of Frodo lives and tack Frodo lives onto, like, your file names. Oh. It didn't kill your computer? 
mean, like, it made it slow and, like, possibly screwy, but... Well, that makes them slow down and maybe go outside and, and hang out with trees a little bit, huh? If, what if you tack the phrase fertile lives into a factory? No, it makes Are you... Are stretching the metaphor that far? No, if it makes your computer slow, you're basically like, oh, the factory... It's like, if you think about the, the computer, the modern-day workstation for industry... Yeah. And you shut it down with the virus... They can't do no more industry. They gotta go outside and play with trees. Okay, alright, so you're a little bit sympathetic to the Frodo Lives virus. Was, uh, was Christopher a hippie? Oh, God! No! Christopher, what you know of him, does he seem like he was a hippie? I just think really funny if he's, like, in his bedroom and he's like, J.R. is like, son, what are you doing in there? Nothing, papa. Nothing, daddy. And he's like, what are you, I hear you listening to some some blasted music on your record player. And he's like, no, no, daddy, it's not, it's nothing. Now, t- talking like hippie music would have been like the Beatles. Right. <laughs> to, to Who are these mopheads you're listening to? <laughs> Christopher Tolkien's like leaning I, over this like this like glow in the dark mushroom shaped diffuser, like yeah. smoking weed through it. Yeah. <laughs> Except like he can't get weed, so he's like using oregano. Yeah. <laughs> I do not think that Christopher Tolkien was in any way. He's very much after daddy's mold. I just thought it'd be funny. That would be really funny that's my, though. It's my funny idea. That's your funny idea. We don't have to do it if you don't want to. <laughs> so there's one more thing, hippie really latched onto in Lord of the Rings. Can you guess what it is? Wee! I was gonna give you a hint that our apartment smells like it all the time because our neighbor downstairs hot boxes, but yeah, you guessed it, it's weed. Pipe so, leaf, Gandalf. Yes, in a way it was very unfortunate for Tolkien that he decided to call the things the Hobbit smoke pipe weed, because no matter how many times he clarified that pipe weed was supposed to be tobacco, it sadly fell on very deaf, very high ears. Hippies were like, we don't care! <laughs> Um, even in the Peter Jackson movies, there are subtle and not-so-subtle gags implying that pipe weed is Dagnox. It seems a little, yeah, that's what I kind of assumed. Like, that part where Mary and Pippin find all that weed stashed in Isengard, and then yeah. they smoke it, and they're giggling a bunch. Like, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan have stated on the record that they were acting like they were stoned. That like was, it was really dank nugs yes, they found. Yes, Um Actually, you don't even have to look at the Peter Jackson movies, though, because if you just listen to the scene from Unfinished Tales, I want you to, like, tell me it doesn't sound like they're talking about something other than tobacco. All right, lay it on me. All right. The council met in Rivendell, and Gandalf sat apart, silent, but smoking prodigiously, a thing he had never done before on such an occasion. While Saruman spoke against him and urged that, contrary to Gandalf's advice, Dolguldur should not yet be molested. So, like, this stuffy old man is trying to, like argue against him in a council and he's just like smoking a giant spliff. Such a freaking narc, Saruman. God. God. Both the silence and smoke seemed greatly to annoy Saruman. (laughs) And before the council dispersed, he said to Gandalf, When weighty matters are in debate, Mithrandir, I wonder a little that you should play with your toys of fire and smoke while others are in earnest speech. But Gandalf laughed and replied, You would now wonder if you used this herb yourself. That is weird. (laughs) You might find that smoke blown out cleared your mind of shadows within. Anyway, it gives patience to listen to error without anger. But it is not one of my toys. It is an art of the little people away in the West, merry and worthy folk, though not of much account, perhaps, in your high policies. High policies, right? Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is weed. Saruman was a little appeased by this answer, for he hated mockery, however gentle. And he said then coldly, You jest, Lord Methandir, as is your way. I know well enough that you have become a curious explorer of the small weeds, wild things, and childish folk. Your time is your own to spend if you have nothing worthier to do, and your friends you may make as you please. But to me the days are too dark for wanderers' tales, and I have no time for the simples of peasants. 
Gandalf did not laugh again, and he did not answer, but looking keenly at Saruman, he drew out his pipe and sent out a great ring of smoke with many smaller rings that followed it. Then he put up his hand as if to grasp them, and they vanished. With that, he got up and left, without another word. But Saruman stood for some time silent, and his face was dark with doubt and displeasure. Man. It's just an herb, just man. A, just like little people herbs. It clears your mind of shadows within, man. Seriously, man, stop being a narc. I'm, I'll just take take a puff, dude. Puff, puff, pass. Now, Come on. by the way, Tolkien writes elsewhere that Saruman actually did experiment with pipe weed in secret, but was super embarrassed at the thought of anyone else finding out. Hold on, this is a thing he wrote. This is a thing. Yes. Oh my god. In secret, at, um, at Isengard, he was just smoking a ton of weed, but it was a secret. That's why it's there when oh Mary and Pippin god. show up. Secret stoner Saruman. Secret stoner Saruman, but he was too much of a square to admit it. My goodness. Yes. So, in summary... That's amazing. I know. In summary, Tolkien couldn't possibly have anticipated the special way in which the counterculture would embrace his work, both because he was writing Lord of the Rings decades before the hippie movement took off, and because he was the definition of an old man who's out of touch with the youth. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, how many times did people tell him that the word queer was changing meanings, <laughs> and he might not want to use it so much in the context he was using it, and he was like, no, I don't care. Plus, this is character I've been working on named Teleporno. (laughs) It's a miracle that he was convinced. I don't even know if he was convinced. It's probably if somebody told him that he had to change it because it sounded bad, he'd dig his heels in. Mm -hmm. But, 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 but isn't this the way it happens with a lot of writers, right? So once your work is out there, you can't really control which corners of society end up loving it and how they end up interpreting it. It's called Death of the Author, baby. Yes. And whether Death of the Author is a good thing or bad thing is a philosophical argument I'm pretty sick of having, so let's just skip it. Okay. That's what I have to say about Tolkien and hippies. Wow. Wow. Now, when you read Lord of the Rings for the first time, did you pick up on the hippie angle? Did you, like... I mean, I definitely thought they were smoking weed. Yeah. Even as, like, a 12-year-old, I was like, oh my god, these hobbits are getting so high. <laughs> like, and yeah. That, and that goes against everything I learned in D.A.R.E. Yeah, Dare. I think I stopped caring about Dare like five seconds after. <laughs> Did I ever tell you, like, at the end of Dare, they had like an essay contest. Right, I remember. You had to write about like one of your heroes or something, right? No, for us, you just had to write about like what the Dare program meant to you. And oh, okay. I literally wrote like this entire, I wasn't even trying to be like obstinate or anything <laughs> like that or like contrary. I just wrote this whole essay about how I didn't think Dare was actually going to keep kids off drugs. I mean, you're right. It doesn't. It, it's. I was like, but I think that, I think the program still has value, even though it really won't keep kids off drugs. <laughs> Surprise, surprise, my essay did not get chosen. Yeah, they had to, it was like a prize, right? They would... You would read it in front of the whole school. Yeah, I remember that. And my essay about how ineffectual the D.A.R.E. program is <laughs> did not get chosen. A little bit too political, Joanna. A little bit too much of a hot take. I wasn't trying to be. I just thought it was, like, obvious. No, you're a realistic kid. I thought it was obvious that nobody was going to be like, the D.A.R.E. program told me not to. I'm friends with the cop now. Now I won't do drugs. Yeah, like, Officer Mark said that this was going to make me turn into a giant weed cigarette. Yeah. Like an Alice in Wonderland. I'm really sorry, Trooper Mark. I'm really sorry. He tried, man. He tried. He tried, but, like, I just don't think... If a kid is going to do drugs, then, then an officer coming in once a week to show them cartoons about turning into marijuana <laughs> spliffs... Yeah. Not Didn't really stick with me either. <laughs> no. No. Gotta say. But anyway, what do you have for me today, Ryan? Is it about weed? Uh, I think people who are into this... Probably smoke some space weed. Oh, um, yeah, like some glitter stim. Glitter stim. Some some. There's definitely some spice involved with the story. Oh, it's I like a tale it of uh, of sex, spice, and rock and roll, baby. Sex in the world of jizz whaling. 
Oh, God. Few bands have had the meteoric rise to fame and sudden downfall as the Max Rebo Band. In a few short years, they changed their style completely and expanded their band in ways no one thought possible. They went from this... That is the original unspecial edition. Hey, I'm still doing my intro here. Okay, sorry. So went from that to this. How did an Ordolan organist, a Poloic singer, a Ketonic flautist turn their three-man band into a 12-member group playing for the biggest crime lord in the galaxy? And how did they lose it all? This week on What's Lightsaber's Precious, we're going behind the music of the Max Rebo Band. So the Max Rebo Band, if you don't know who they are, they're the band that plays in Jabba's Palace. Right, last year we did Mos Eisley Madness. We yes. kept figuring Dan and the modal nodes out of it until after. Just like this year, I did Jabba's Palace Madness. I kept the Max Rebo Band out of it until now. That's like admirable consistency. I, tried I don't think to I've be... done anything remotely consistent since this podcast started. I put some thought into it. So the Max Rebo Band began as a group started by the jizz whaler named Evar Orbis. He was desperate to make a profit off his floundering musical career. He's kind of a failure. He's a singer, like, well-known, but wasn't making any money off yeah. it. He needed a group of talented but easily exploitable musicians and found them in his original three bandmates, Max Rebo, Cy Snoodles, and Droopy McCool. Droopy McCool? Yeah, dude. It's like a, like a, like a, like a, like a cool version of Droopy Dog. It's like an old jazz man name, right? With like a, with like a sunglasses on. You're not too far off, actually. Beatles, Let's start with, let's talk about these members. So Max Rebo. His real name was actually Cerulean Fantelli. Okay, so his name is Splue, because he's blue. No, it's spelled like S-I-I-R-U-U-L-I-A-N. So yeah, no, I see you, George Lucas. I see you. Cerulean Fantelli. Uh-huh. He was a poor Ordolan, the youngest of five siblings and the skinniest of the lot. Is it bad? Is it bad to be skinny? Well, they're kind of a fat little people. He's, you don't know who I'm talking about. He's a little blue elephant guy. He plays yeah. the piano. This sounds very much like Celine Dion's origin story so far. It really is. Youngest of a French-Canadian family and the skinniest. And the skinniest. <laughs> so he made his way through life by playing the red ball organ, which is that kind of circular piano that he plays. Uh-huh. It's called a red ball organ. At the local Flamth house, which is kind of like the Ortolan version of a steakhouse. Ever Orbis approached Fantelle and promised him that he would never need to go hungry again, provided that he would join his band. In Fantelli's constant pursuit of food, he signed himself over on the recommendation of his new manager, changed his name to Max Rebo. Oh, because it's more of like that's more of like a rock name. Truly, like in Fantelli, it's kind of hard to say, but Max Rebo, mm, that's got some dynamite to it. That's got some spice. It sounds very much, and this is probably intentional, like yeah. some uh, Italian-American actor having to like, change their name into something cool and American. Exactly. Like butch. Yeah. Or, you know, like... Change your name to, like, Celine Dion. <laughs> I wonder what Celine Dion's real name was. I think it's Celine Dion. I was just messing around. So you know Max. There's Max. Little blue guy. He's so cute. But he's the skinniest, though. He's In his family, he's the skinniest one. But he wants to eat, so he joins Ever Orbis's band. The next member that joined was Cy Snoodles. She was an up-and-coming singer and performing artist of the Palauic species. Now, is she the one with, like, the lips? She's the yellow one with the long lips. Yep. She's kind of gangly and skinny. Yep, yep. yep. At one point during the Clone Wars, she'd even dated Zero the Hutt. Who, oh! If you remember, is Jabba's uncle. Aim higher. 
Is, Gross. Like, is, is Truman Capote uncle? Now, see, yes. Now, yes. You might think this is, uh, she should aim higher, but that's a pretty high step. You know, a high I member mean, of a hot crime family. In terms of, like, your financial and political fortunes, probably, but I wouldn't date zero. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I had to date one of the huts, nah, I would go for Zorba. Zorba's pretty fun. Like, I want that for-profit prison money. Sai <laughs> <laughs> had big dreams of being a successful musician and was determined to see those aspirations realized at any cost. An opportunity knocked whenever Orbis offered her a gig as the singer in his new band. She was desperate for a chance to make it big, so she signed her services to Orbis. The next member of the original three, Droopy McCool. Droopy McCool. His true name was a series of whistles, which was incomprehensible to anyone who wasn't part of his species. So he's most commonly called Snit. What? He, he's not called Droopy McCool? Well, there's Droopy McCool. I don't know if you've seen him before. Oh my god! Oh my god. Oh my god. What's Droopy McCool? You look guys, like oh my. What does he look like? He looks like a potato. He's like a potato pig, yeah. He's like a potato pig. He plays a little flute. Wearing brown shorts and yeah. nothing else. Yeah. So he was a Kitonak, a species known for their patience and, and silence. I have a question. Yeah. If his name is a series of whistles, why isn't the name for his species a series of whistles? I don't know. I think that's just kind of what the galaxy calls them. Oh, okay. They have probably their own name for their people. Got right. It. From the planet Kurdo 3, and he was a flautist. He played the flute from a reed that was native to his planet. Okay. He's kind of known for that. However, he ended up being sold into slavery on the planet Orvax oh. 4. So who was he sold to, you might be wondering? It was Ever Orbis. Wait. Our band leader. So the band leader used, like, a slave. Did he give him his freedom? Or was he, like, well, just enslaved into this band? When people asked Orbis to say, oh, I hired him. Uh-huh. I didn't buy him. I hired if him. You, yeah. Uh-huh. If you're paying that guy, then how come he just wears, like, a brown bathing suit every yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Snit was bought by Ever Orbis. Uh, Cy was really fond of him as he would listen to her complaints and thoughts for hours without saying a word. And then at the end, he would gently soothe her pains and fears. Snoodles and fans of the band agree that Snit, who was also later known as Droopy, held the band together as the heart of the operation. How can you not with shorts like those? He's beautiful, man. So those four, we have Droopy McCool, we got Cy Max Rebo, and Ever Orbis. They started doing small gigs around the Outer Rim, doing small cantinas and venues all around the place under the name Ever Orbis and his Galactic Jizz Whalers. They soon built up a following. The band was responsible for many hits, including That Joyous Night I Ate My Mate and Lapty Neck. Lapty Neck? Now, that was a song you first heard. Let's, let me play it one more time just so you can kind of get it's it. It's called Lapty Neck? Lapty Neck. It's Hutties for Work It Out. Here, let's listen to this a little bit more of Lapty Neck. This is Sai Snoodle singing. Dang piano. A maniac. I gotta say, this original song is less soulful, um, but also like. It's droopy. He is. Also, this original sequence, you see a lot more of the dancers. You do. You do. So, there's actually English translations of these Hatties lyrics. Uh-huh. It says, Feel my body growing. I'm growing. My bones have started glowing. Your experiences are not universal. The time has come for showing. <laughs> that shape you up and work you out. Work it out. You gotta move your soul, gotta work it out. It's kind of like a, almost like a Gloria Stefan song when they see these lyrics. Like, Yeah, it is. It is. My body feels exciting. There's a whole, they translate the whole song. It's, now it's interesting how it rhymes also in English. It's weird, right? 
Cool. Crazy, right? Um, I had to assume that this is specific to one species because very few species have their entire body grow this upon is, arousal. It's a Hatice song. I think it might be a Hatice. Wait, do they actually grow larger? I don't think so. Like all of them? Not just one part, but all of them? Joanna, I don't, I can't tell you. Do their bones glow? No, this is just this is just called poetic language. I don't know if you've heard of it. Poetic not, not every song is literal. It turns out, bones are glowing, and you. Do you think Celine Dion sees him every night in her dreams? I don't think she really sees him every night. It's called poetry. I think you'll find it is. Anyway, thanks to a shady context, Everett Orbis was the only one making any money off this operation. Eventually, the band got their first big gig, which is playing the Moose Isley Cantina on Tatooine. Pretty good. Yeah. However, when they arrived to the spaceport, the local band, Figure and Dan and the Modal Nose, was waiting for them and tried to cause trouble because they thought that Orbis and his band were trying to intrude on their territory. A fight broke out, and Ever Orbis was killed in the gunfire. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So, so we talked about in our Figure and Dan episode, he's kind of a hothead, and this that was just like Biggie and Tupac. Totally, totally, just like, just that. like it. So at that point, the Ever Orbis and the Galactic Jizz Whales were over, and it left Max, Sai, and Droopy without a manager. But it was then that Sia Snoodle saw her chance. She renamed the group the Max Rebo Band and persuaded the group's amiable keyboardist Max Rebo to take over as band leader. Why would she do this? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Why didn't she make herself the, the, well, the headliner? she just saw her band leader get murdered by another band. <sighs> and it would provide an obvious target, this little blue elephant boy, to bounty hunters and rival musicians. No, why would you do that to poor Max Rebo? So Sai was going to secretly kind of control things from behind the scenes, and, and dumb old Max is like, okay, I'll do it. Oh my god. Uh, so I like that she picked him for the figurehead because he's blue, and that's like easier to snipe. Easier to, he's, nothing else is blue. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, nothing else is blue. It's, no, hard, not, it's hard to snipe. Nothing uh, on Tatooine is blue, so he'll be easy to spot. It's hard to snipe a brown potato man wearing a brown bathing suit oh, at 500 paces. Droopy, blue guy. Droopy's going to blend in with that sand real good. Oh yeah. Max is going to be... that's why he wears the bathing suit. It's even blooded even more, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, once uh, she took over as band leader, did he at least get, like, enough money to buy some cargo shorts? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, so Sai's first act as the manager was to bring in backup dancers. He brought in Griotta Jindowanian, Ristel Sant, and Lin Mi. In addition to fellow musicians, Rapatolanoni Tivotalon, whose stage name was Rappertuni, and Barquin Dan who was also related to Figurin' Dan, but was irrelevant to the band's stuff. I sometimes forget that Dan is, like, their last name. Yeah. I always think Figurin', Figurin' is, like, you know, like, bleeding gums or something like that. Like, right. it's like a nickname. But nope, Figurin', Figurin okay, Dan. Figurin. So, uh, no. here's our here's our background singers. These are the ones in the special edition. Yep, cool. So, you got uh, Ristal, you yep. got Griotta. Uh-huh. Griotta. She's Griotta. A, she's, she's, a, she's, she's Greedo with, like, blonde hair. She's a Rodian, and, yeah, with, with a mohawk, and Lin Mi. Okay. Okay, they're the backup singers. Here is Rapatawana Tolanini, whatever his name is, uh, Rappertuni. Rappertuni. Playing his little little thing. And now, you would expect him to rap. You think he would. It is very disappointing that he does rap. Does not rap. And also, Figurin' Dan doesn't figure much. It's not Figurin' Dan, it's Barkwin' Dan. Oh, Barkwin' Dan. Good old Barkin' Dan. Well, he doesn't bark. No, he's playing the same kind of instrument that Figurin' Dan plays. He's, he's just, he reused a costume. It's like a bassoon. It's a bassoon. It's a bassoon. Like a clue horn, I think they call it. Bassoonin' Dan. But unfortunately for Sai, her ambitions were upset when a booking agent working for Jabba approached the more pliable Rebo and said, hey, you want to come to Jabba's palace and play a little bit? And Rebo excitedly signed the band away, contracted Jabba, in exchange for a lifetime supply of free food. What? No money. Food. Just food. Just food. Yeah. Boy, they really had bad conditions aren't with the previous manager. Aren't you glad he's a leader of your band, Sai? 
Again, this is just like what Celine Dion Yeah. <laughs> Here's a quote from Sice Noodles. I could have killed Max, little blue dope, and I'm a pacifist. All he had to do was look the size of my mouth and my body and see that I don't eat much. Droopy wasn't happy either. He eats only once a month. Job was going to pay for us in food, but any boss worth working for pays the band and gives him a meal on top of it. I was wrong to let Max run our business affairs. After this fiasco, I bowed to leave and take Droopy with me. If that fool Rebo wants to work for food, then he should have a solo career. What really stands, I know this isn't the main point, but what really stands out to me is the fact that Droopy McCool only ate once a month. Yeah, yeah. But he does not have the physique of a man who only eats once per month. He's like from a desert planet, I think. So he's like, yes, he's and? like a camel where they don't have to eat or drink that often. Isn't that know? the same thing as Yarda? Yeah, kind of like Yarda. I don't know. Droopy's like a weird character. He doesn't talk much. He just kind of is quiet and, and sits around in his shorts and is calm and nice. I want you guys to look at this brown bathing suit wearing guy and tell me if he looks like he only eats once a month. No oh, shade? Yeah. But he is um, a rotund gentleman. So, as you can probably guess, Sai was not very happy about this arrangement. Always pragmatic, Sai Snoodles was outraged at Rebo's deal for food and often worked behind the hut's back, trying to revoke their arrangement with Jabba. She also worked as a spy amongst Jabba's varied enemies, giving information in exchange for extra credits. In truth, Sai was acting as a double agent, though, as the information she shared with Jabba's enemies were, in fact, falsehoods provided to her by Big Fortuna. So, she's... Spreading false information, doing some spy work. Oh my god. You know, greasing the gears behind the scenes. I mean, like, I can't totally blame her because, like, I wouldn't be want, want to be locked into that kind of contract. Was it part of the contract that if they tried to leave, like, they would die? Oh, that's all job is contracts. Like, they, would, they yeah. wouldn't, it wasn't that they would, like, get sued for damages or no, anything. No, like, no. They would die. You think, you think Jabba sues people? No, he, he tosses you in a sarlacc pit. Or let's get eaten by a rancor. He does not... He doesn't. Sometimes he does that even if you do. Exactly. Have a yeah. Contract. You know, you don't want to make a hut contract. So yeah, they they were it was a life binding contract essentially. Still, their lives were not as bad as they once had been under Ever Orbis. They were allowed to travel outside the palace and accept tips from the palace denizens. So they made a little bit of money there. Okay, so they did make money. Yeah. They were sent to Hoth to perform for Bingo Mendra on the sorry who was, on the Crime Lord's spawning day. This is like his birthday. I didn't know. Oh, Hoth- his spawning day. I thought it was the day on which he would spawn children. No, I, I was I, like, that's gross. Why do they like show up to like okay, do the soundtrack to him? I don't know if this is from like a good source. This is like I don't think Hoth has Crime Lords. It's like a frozen planet. It's a frozen planet. No it one lives tauntauns. there. Tauntauns. Anyway, unknown to the band, they were actually sent to kill Bingo instead of play for him. Um, I don't think they're going to be very successful if they don't know <laughs> they're supposed to kill this cat. Droopy discovered thermite explosives in the speakers. Oh, and so, no, beetle thermite! So they decided to set up a hollow vid of them playing for the guy. Okay. So they could escape while it was playing. And, you know, they don't have to be there when it blows up. Oh! So they were, it was an explosive. It was a thermite. That explosive. they brought in unknowingly, but then they discovered it. Yes. And Droopy was like, all the cargo pockets in the world aren't worth this. <laughs> yeah, he was like Need that. no political assassinations. Oh, jeez. So in gratitude, Jabba bought them new instruments and gave them three new band members. The Quetunian Umpus Stay, uh-huh. the Weequay Akrev, and the Rhodian bard Dota Bonawido. So there's, uh, there's Umpus Stay, which I will mention, if you were to read his name in Pig Latin, his name is Stumpass. Yeah. <laughs> That did kind of jump out to me. I so, didn't want to say anything. Actually, I really wanted to say anything. You just didn't give me an opening. So Stumpass plays the taiko drum sort of Stump thing. Stumpass? All right, cool. Akarev plays the big cymbal. Yep. And uh, Dota Bonadoido plays the 
Oboe, I guess. Oboe. Was it like an oboe? Yeah, and I guess at some point Joe Yowza joined the band too. I don't really... I, I like to think that Joe Yowza didn't, like, officially... Like, wasn't officially invited to join. He just started, like... Showing up. Freestyling. <laughs> I mean, I think Like, he, he wasn't originally part of that song. I can look it up, but I'm, I I don't think there's any information, really, about how he joined. But I think that's a good good story. Yeah. He's kind of joined the band and started... He's like, you guys need a hype man in your song. Yeah. Like, no, we really don't. And he's like, ah! ah! <laughs> so the band played at Jawa's Palace during Luke Skywalker's attempt to free Han Solo and later played at the execution over the great pit of Carcoon. The band barely escaped the catastrophe when the sail barge exploded as they jumped out just in time. Yeah, yeah, everybody's jumping out of this sail barge just in time. But as the sail barge blew apart, so too did the Max Rebo band. Now freed from Jabba's life contract, the members were free to do anything they wanted and go their own way. Some found success. So Max, for example, he went on to join the Rebel Alliance, cooking for them, making food for them, playing music I was going to say, them. don't put him in like an important position, because he's dumb as hell. And later he joined a chain of successful restaurants called Max's Flanth House. Oh, Flanth again! The flagship restaurant was on Coruscant, uh-huh. and it had lines out the door. Really? So good job, Max. He was like just very food focused. He loves but food. But it did him well. Joe Yauza, Griata, and Ristal, those singers, joined the band The Palpatones. The Palpatones? Like Palpatine, but Palpatones? It was really good in the article for The Palpatones. It was like, Palpatones is a portmanteau of Palpatine and Tones. Oh, thank God. Thank God! Did you know? They clarified. Rapper Toonie ended up designing upgrades for MSE6 mouse droids, which are like little droids that run around in the Death Star. Okay, I mean, that's not very hip-hop of him, but... No, it's not. Some were not as successful, though. Psy continued to pursue a solo career, but found little success due to the fact that most beings found her singing to be quote-unquote weird. Weird? She was a rival- singing? Yeah, she was seen as a rival of a fellow Palauic singing sensation, Laricel Chetrunas, who was a former Miss Coruscant winner. Same species as Psy. Oh. But kind of a beauty queen. Uh-huh. So she was like hot version. Well, I mean, if you could get hotter, I mean, Sai is the hot damn. version. This is a hotter version. Got it. Despite the publicity, the rumored backstage drama did little for Sai's dwindling career. However, and the best she could muster were tours of the Outer Rim territories under a variety of new stage names. Snoodles would later become a spice addict, never again able to reclaim her past fame. Oh, Snoodles! At the heart of the band, Droopy McCool. After the sail barge exploded, he wandered off into the desert wastes <laughs> of Tatooine in search of rumored kitten acts like himself among the Dune Sea. <laughs> just wandered away and it was never seen again no are we to understand he died well years later some old moisture farmers said that they heard a chindaklu flute during the night <laughs> in the darkest corners of the desert while others believe that it may have been droopy and his pals playing music while waiting for their deity the cosmic egg so he literally just like wandered around the desert for the rest of his life like standing on dunes playing a flute like a member of Jabba's palace told him like they thought they saw Kitanax out in the desert and he really missed his home world because he was sold to slavery you know he'd been away from there a long time and he yeah. didn't know how to get off tattooing so he decided I'll go find my friends in the desert yep. just did night fluting yep night flutes night flutes so that's the rise and fall of the Max Rebo band but you never mentioned Sai's biggest hit which is Gangnam Style yeah <laughs> you never mentioned it why you know, did you mention that Ryan well I said she did use a number of stage names so, on the outer rim and Sai was one of them with a P before it with a P before it it was like her name just spelled different and oh she released God. Gangnam Style that's amazing no I think for her she called it Gungan Style Opa Gungan Style hey Misa Jar Jar <laughs> Wow, are you sized noodles? That was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I wow. seem just like her. It was amazing. So some quick behind the scenes on the production of the Max Rebo band. So Max, you know, he's this little fat little elephant guy sits in the middle of a piano shaped like a donut and plays the keys, right? Yeah. Well, if you look at production sketches and how the puppet was built, 
it's kind of implied that Max was like he's not playing with his fingers; it's supposed to be his feet. Really? And that all of Max, he's like sitting on a cushion instead of sitting in the middle of a donut-shaped piano. That was there's a cushion that put him up to the level of the keys. Dude, I feel like I have seen pictures and toys of Max Rebo well, definitely in hands. That's because you have Max Rebo that has hands, don't that's, you? That's because in 1989 when they were making the Star Wars RPG they game, they decided that not having hands was just too racist for the time. They drew Orlatans, Max Rebo's people, as kind of uh, humanoid. Yeah. But in the sketches, it shows him as kind of just like this this little torso guy. So what is the truth? The true, well, the canon truth now is that, because other Ordolins have been seen in other canon sources as being humanoid. So they do have hands. They do have hands and feet. Yes. They do have hands and feet. Yes. That's so messed up. Isn't Why that weird? Would, what loving guy would give you feet but no hands? Well, that's his whole body. I don't know. That's stupid. And here's something you brought up earlier. As Rebo resembles a cerulean elephant, it is noteworthy that cerulean resembles the word cerulean. Oh, wow. Again, thank you for clarifying. And that the name Fantele resembles elephant when the syllables are swapped. Okay, so look. So listen. So everybody on Wikipedia just thinks like everybody else is a goddamn idiot, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) They can't figure out that Cerulean sounds like Cerulean. And they also can't figure out like that the word Fantele sounds like elephant. Yeah, we're we're that stupid. You take that L.A., put it in the front. Oh, is that what you're doing? Thanks, Wikipedia. Thank you for your service. Hey, can I I salute you? Thank you for your service. I shake your hand in an airport and thank you for your service when I go to pick up my daughter from Japan? Can I do that? Thanks, Wikipedia. Support our Wikipedia troops, okay? God damn. They're the operators. One more thing. There's a blue-skinned elephant creature named Hooter in Michael Jackson's short film Captain EO. Oh, sure. He looks exactly like Max Rebo. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Many fans have speculated that Rebo inspired the creature's design because George Lucas worked on that as well, as well as Jim Henson's Puppet Factory. I mean, and, I would not be surprised. And he plays the keyboard. Yeah. He's basically Max Rebo. He's basically Max Rebo. He is Max Rebo. But his name is Hooter. 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 So anyway, that was behind the music, the Max Rebo band. Now, what song do you like better? The one in the unspecial edition or the one in the special edition? Because they changed. I think they're both fun. I don't uh, know why they changed them. I guess they just Well, wanted, I don't know. what they said is that Richard Marquand, who worked, was the director of the original Return of the Jedi. Yeah before the special edition, really hated that song. He thought it was too disco. Oh. Like, it was in the 80s. It was 83, so that time disco was kind of on the outs. People weren't really into it. And so he thought it was a little bit too disco for what he wanted. Okay. The new one, they just wanted to show off CGI. They wanted Basically, to put, they wanted to have her, like, really... They wanted to pull the old Size Noodles puppet out, put a new CGI one in, add some new characters. But you know what's a bummer is, like, all the dancing stuff is, like, almost gone. You see the dancers for, like, two seconds. Well, that's when they brought in the original Ula actor. Yeah, but she's only in it for, like, literally 0.59 seconds. Let's see, actually. That's a good point. There's also a third song that's kind of, like, in the background. They, they did play it? Yeah. This one. Sweet, man. I don't remember this song at all. It's in the background. This is in the original edition? Non-special? Is it not in the special edition? It's, I don't think it is. And there's another one, too, I don't think is in the special edition. Let me see if I can find it. God, it must have been a long time since I saw the non-special edition, because I do not remember this song. If you had to choose between the Max Rebo band and Figure and Dan and the Modal Nodes, and one of them you had to launch into the core of a collapsing star, and the other one you had to listen to play every single day of your life inside your home. Mmm. I think Figure and Dan's got a more solid set. Okay. But, like, as far as a show goes, I think Max Rebo could put on a show. I mean, like... Like, there's 12 people in the band. They got, like, guy playing the taiko drum. They got, like, dancers. They got, like... Joe Yowza. Joe Yowza. Just yelling stuff. 
Yeah, I think I picked Max Rebo Band as one to one to boost up. And All right, and then you're gonna launch Figure and Dan into the sun. I don't want that though. They're... You have to. That's part of the the hypothetical. That this we're is punishment here. for death, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He's a guilty man. So, did you set up the bracket yet for uh, worst name challenge? I haven't. I haven't I either. So I will though this week. Okay, we're gonna have that for you guys next week. Um, this is the rare occasion. I shouldn't say rare. I mean, like we're usually pretty lazy, but we're being extra lazy this time. Ryan was in Florida, and I was tired. <laughs> I was just tired. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I'll I'll put that up. I think it's gonna be like like more of a, a rank your worst name sort of thing. Okay, I like it. I'll put up details. Don't worry. I'll figure this out. And I'll post it up sometime this week on our Facebook, and please vote. Please help us out with that. Let us know. Of all the names you've talked about, which is truly the worst? We're really depending on you guys. If you guys don't vote, we're not going to know who has the crappiest name. Absolutely not. And then, like, what's the point of anything? Might as well die. We might as well just die. I mean, we all might as well just die anyway. I mean, we're all, like, here, ripped from the void into this meat space to suffer for some few decades and then be annihilated. And for what? So people can refuse to vote in our worst name challenge? I don't think so. so go on our Facebook, go on our email. Social Mead. Wait us up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and have a great day. We'll see you guys next week. Bye! Bye.